1: Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. Coming up on today's episode, it's for, for, for Friday, so we've got some Friday fun. We're looking at the politics of Gogglebox. We'll speak to the creator, Stefan Dom from Gogglebox, tell us what it was like watching politicians on the show and a former Goggleboxer who now wants to become an MP. That's coming up in just a moment. Before that, we'll have the columnists, uh, James Forsyth and Melanie Reed will be here. But as we always do on a Friday, let's take a look at what we learned this week. We learned what Liz Truss's lasting legacy is, and it's a whitewash. Jeremy Hunt told the Spectator Awards this week that Boris Johnson's gold wallpaper had started to peel off, so Liz painted over it. I asked David Davis, is there any benefits to Brexit yet? Uh, no, no major ones. You, you've got You've got minor ones. We learned about Lorraine Kelly's niche interests.
2: Captain Kirk as Prime Minister, Spock as Chancellor.
1: Yeah, and we already know that they can work well together. Well, so they do, they love each together. other. Yeah, I yeah. mean,
2: there's a whole load of fan fiction on just how much they
1: love each other. We don't need to get into maybe that. Maybe you
2: don't want to get into that, <laughs> but they do actually work you Have you been writing very... <laughs>
1: some filth on the internet, <laughs> Oh, no,
2: I have not. I have not. And it's, it's yes, it's um, very naughty.
1: You've but... been reading it, though. Well, I, I haven't <laughs> pointed out to you. And for research
3: purposes, I may or may not have.
1: Absolute filth. We learned that when Kay Burley asks tricky questions, Michael Gove gets thirsty. Are you having my washer? Okay, yes, thank you. Um, y- y- we learned that Matt Hancock is more popular than Chris Moyles. I'm gutted that Matt Hancock is more popular than me. What the be- Jesus is going on? <laughs> We learned that Rishi Sunak has asked Lindsay Hoyle to get on with PMQs, but didn't practice what he preached.
4: Prime Minister, when I stand, you've got to sit down. But can I just say to you, you came to me quite rightly and said to me, we want to get through Prime Minister's questions, I'm going to give short answers. Please stick to what you have.
1: And we learned that Labour's Angela Eagle is making a bid for Christmas number one. Chancellor, um, this year alone,
3: your party has given us three Prime Ministers Four chancellors, four different versions of a Conservative government, and six fiscal events. 147 members of the government, including 32 cabinet ministers, have resigned or been sacked.
1: that is what we learned this week loads of you have been in touch this week actually emailing in about things on the podcast if you want to get in touch matt at times.radio matt at times.radio if you want to get in touch about anything you've heard on the pod Uh, right now it's time for this the columnists with formel james forsyth and melanie reed on times radio and we say a very good morning to James Forsyth. Morning, James. Morning, Matt. How are you? I'm not bad. Morning, Melanie.
5: Morning, Matt.
1: Nice to have you both here. Uh, what to make of these new rebels, James Forsyth? These uh, Names that may or may not ring a bell. Uh, Tory MPs preparing to rebel. Uh, Boris Johnson and Liz Truss.
2: Yeah, I can't remember a time when two World Prime ministers have move so quickly in, into that column. I mean, it is, it, is, it is remarkable. I mean, it says something about um, just the kind of pace at which British politics I- I- is moving these days. Uh, now, I mean, I mean, Liz Truss tried to remove this effective bat on onshore when, when she was prime minister. And, you know, and, but, but Boris Johnson left it in place for his entire time in Downing Street. So it is slightly surprising to see his, um, to see his name on the amendment.
1: So just explain the background of this. So this was a a David Cameron era thing, isn't it? To ban onshore wind.
2: So so, so David Cameron effectively banned onshore wind because, you know, Tory backbenchers didn't like it. And if you remember back in the day, wind farms were regarded as one of the things that were recruiting sergeants for UKIP. Um, And so they moved to this position and this ban has been in place since then. When she was leader, Liz Truss said, look, why don't we uh, allow onshore wind? Because, you know, uh, energy prices are so high, onshore wind is cheaper, and obviously, as a domestic really produced form of energy, it, 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 it is more, it helps with security of supply too.
1: Uh, and then, yeah, but as you quite rightly point out, both Boris Johnson and Liz Truss did nothing about this. Although the Liz Truss is slightly more limited in time, uh, and they're now rebelling against Wishy Sunak, despite the fact they supported the thing the whole time. Uh, where, where where do you st- where do you uh, stand on on wind farms, Melanie?
5: Well, I think the, the the resistance to them in 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 especially in the south of England is because it's about change. Um, people aren't used to them. There's not a lot of space and. When you first see see these things, I mean, there's lots of them up here. There's lots of them in Scotland. But when you first see them, they 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 are shocking. You know, they are monolithic, and I can understand why. You know, in the deuce the deuce south, uh, where there's not a lot of space and and very little wild land, um, there is a huge resistance to them. But there, and and this thing about them being a recruiting sergeant for for uh, for, 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 for for farage, but. Um, they are they are pro-growth they are pro-green that argument you know so I think I think there is one nation movement towards them because it's 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 it's, it makes good sense however they need to go in a place where there is there is space and that means really the north doesn't it the north of England the the wide open moors.
1: Um, and what about the politics of it, uh, Melanie? It's quite amusing to see Boris Johnson essentially rebelling against himself.
5: <laughs> it's well, it's it's his massive pettiness, isn't it? I mean, obviously he's he's uh, he's quite happy to um, to cause trouble for Rishi. Um, and hey, I think I think uh, it's just going to be one more sack of coal on 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 Rishi's back to to lumber up the stairs, isn't it?
1: And James, I suppose it was probably all very entertaining for Boris Johnson and Liz Truss, but all all of this if this rolls on for the next two years. You know, the lessons of the nineteen nineties are the Tories just fight amongst themselves and then go down to a terrible defeat at the next election.
2: Uh, yeah, bu- the public don't vote for divided parties, and I mean, the, I mean, the Tories have a kind of uh, the Tories have a choice, which is they 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 either. Um, Give up on fighting each other, or they're going to get absolutely shellacked at the election. I mean, I mean, the, 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 there there is no way that you can have the level of in you know of public internal tension that that they currently have without it having kind of negative electoral consequences. So, and I mean, I think mean, I think this, I think the question as well here is, people have got to work out that that you know that what. And you see this in this also in the in the 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 other rebellion on, on housing targets. People are going to work out that you know. The, in, in, I think the Tory Party. It used to be said that that loyalty was the Tory Party's secret weapon. Well, it, at the moment, it, it does seem to be very very well hidden.
1: Oh, I think we're slightly lost, James, though. Uh, we'll come back to it. We'll, we'll try and re-establish it. I think it might be in Westminster, which is notoriously bad for uh, for, uh
5: single... Communication! Uh, I know, exactly. <laughs> Communication
1: all round. Everyone accuses MPs of feathering their own nests, but the one thing they've never been able to do is sort out the mobile phone signal in Parliament.
2: Are you back, James? <laughs> Yeah, I am. I am. I think, it, I think these these very thick, uh, these very thick walls uh, <laughs> mean that all sorts of odd things happen. Uh, 21st technology, Twenty first century phone technology doesn't really comply.
1: Yeah, um, in a, whatever it is, eighteenth seventeenth century building. Uh, let's move on to talk about this. Um, uh, students, international students. Still in the Times today, uh, Melanie. Foreign students may be barred from Britain. Unless they win a place at a top university under Rishi Sinak's plans to curb record immigration. It obviously comes after the net migration hit 504,000 uh, last year or in the last 12 months to June. Um, the slightly weird thing about this is that it slightly goes back to the sort of falling in, you know, being a recruiting sergeant for for Nigel Farage or the all the right. Yeah. They they keep saying, oh, it's terrible all these people are coming in. But the main reasons are down to their own. Perfectly laudable, defendable decisions. You know, student letting students come in, Ukrainians, people from Afghanistan, mm-hmm. people from Hong Kong. It's not a surprise that if you have all those policies and you think they're a good idea, that this is what happens.
5: It, 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 absolutely. I mean, it's it's more Brexity mouth music to 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 please the right to stop Farage climbing out of his coffin again. I mean it it's 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 it brings up that there's a fascinating debate online actually underneath the story in the times because it's it brings up this story about you know backdoor migration and and you know that you know the sense of of we're being invaded again which which the right love to play upon and um you know the, this absolute commonsensical view that that these people the, these young people bring they they bring huge fees which are vital to to the area they bring them to and they bring bright people they bring they bring brains but um you know it, it, it I, I think I think sort of you know there's something really horrible about this thing oh but they they should only come to elite universities uh, there's this element of snobbery has been brought in which I find you know really sad because it's at some of the smaller universities that um these students are offering so much to smaller towns and to uh, yeah to smaller networks it's it's yeah i I don't like it, don't like it.
1: Uh, James, I suppose it, it, the other thing is it, it's the smaller universities really rely on the money coming from foreign students.
2: Yeah, and I think I think when you look at it, I, I think you're right that if you break down the kind of individual components that make up this half a million, nearly all of those are regarded as the least controversial aspects of immigration you know hong kong chinese ukrainians students i, I think that probably when you i thought in, in matt's story the thing that struck out uh, jumped out at me was the point about dependence i mean that that probably is something uh, and where where you could where you could look at the rules to ensure that, that that people who are bringing that you know postgraduate students who are bringing dependence but they have the means to support those
1: dependents that they're bringing. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. That the, but then again, that was probably not going to have a huge, like you said, it's not a huge impact on the on the numbers. Um, in a moment, we'll move on. We'll talk about your column in a moment, James. And I'm very, very interested in uh, newsroom fashion after the uh, after Press Gazette did a survey of what people, what journalists are wearing these days. So uh, we will, we'll do uh, your fashion advice uh, next. It's Matt Cholley on Times Radio in association with the Mastercard Strive's UK programme. You can find out more at mastercard.co.uk forward slash strive. We're taking a look through the news with James Forsyth and Melanie Reid. And James, let's talk about your column uh, in The Times today. You've been looking at, I suppose one of the big uh, political stories this week was uh, Nicola Sturgeon being told, no, she couldn't have another referendum. Uh, And you've been looking at the various ways that the, the unionist parties respond to that.
2: Yeah, so I think Nicola Sturgeon explicitly now wants to kind of try and link uh, de- the cause of democracy with Scottish independence, saying it's an outrage that the Supreme Court say that, that she can't hold a referendum when when she wants to. I think that the way the UK government has got to respond to that is by, A, saying, look, we're the people who are trying to make devolution work, we just want to be constructive, so don't get drawn into some kind of war of words. And then I think you also got to be clear that The the UK government's position is not that it is against a referendum ever, ever again, but right now in Scotland, there is clearly no great public, uh, there is clearly no great majority for a referendum now. And, you know, obviously, if that changed, obviously, if you had kind of 60% of people wanting a referendum now for a prolonged period of time, you know, the UK government should move its position. But I think in the current circumstances, you know, there is not a great public desire for another referendum in Scotland the last referendum was only in 2014 and so I think I think the UK government's position at the moment is reasonable but they've got to just show that this is not never it's not now
1: Yes, uh, how has this gone down in Scotland Melanie?
5: I think there's a sense that she's really gambling because it's terribly risky um, she could drive people back to Labour uh, the next general election and Labour are uh, a uh, there's something, a revival going on. The, plus, there's an awful lot of people, there's an awful lot of Scots who vote for the SNP at general elections um, who don't necessarily believe in independence. They yeah, just do they, it they, because...
1: Exactly, because there's a big question yeah. about who runs schools and hospitals and, and everything, which is, you know, you, you could think that the SNP is a better place to do that without necessarily wanting to, to break up the union.
5: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know loads of people like that. So it's it's a kind of... Uh, there's a sense that if she turns this into this this you know, extraordinary single issue thing, and um, she it, she loses, um, then it's it's uh, plus Labour Labour <clears throat> still have Labour are in the point of launching this new sort of constitutional um, a review uh, which Gordon Brown has been involved in, which which is off apparently the leaked stuff. You know, it's going to be offering big changes um so if they if they can finesse that and polish that up and sell that well um yeah she's she's uh it's gambling yeah serious gambling
1: and yeah we talked about this earlier in the week but Labour being slightly more assertive about the whole thing and basically saying look you know if you want to just get rid of the Tories there is a way to do that which isn't independence you can vote Mm. now for Keir Starmer who's not scary um, which is clearly their position. It seems to be getting some traction. Uh, right, let's let's move on and talk about perhaps the most important issue of the day. Uh, James, what are you wearing?
2: Uh, I, I am wearing a, a suit and a suit and tie. And and and, and, and my most controversial item of clothing is a V-neck sweater. I, I, I am I, in the winter months. I, I am keen on a jumper.
1: Quite right. <laughs> you need to be. That's it's cold. <laughs> Melanie, d-
5: what, can I ask what you're wearing? I'm wearing about six layers and and <laughs> I have a huge big rug over my knees. Um, so
1: <laughs> Very good. No, that's fine. You're working from home. That's okay. You're allowed. Yes. Uh, the reason we're asking this is because uh, Press Gazette has been speaking to journalists about how dress codes in the profession have changed. And Will Turville, who uh, uh, became the fashion correspondent for Press Gazette, uh, is on the line as well. Hi, Will. Hi, Matt. Uh, so you, you sort of divided uh, the office up into four... Four categories.
6: Yes, that's right. So there's the old guard, the geography teachers, the Gen Z fashionable types, and the work from homers. Um, and so just just to break that down a bit, the old guard is uh, Hugh Edwards, the Daily Mail. These are people who wear suits, smart dresses, formal wear, very much formal wear, very it's much traditional. Is what I'm saying. Is that's what you'd expect? <laughs> James Forsyth yeah. still doing his suit. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then you have uh, yeah. Then the geography teacher. What's the geography teacher? Well, looking at you, Matt, it might be you, I think. Um, it's uh people who work for broadsheet newspapers generally fit into this category now, which may be a surprise to some of your listeners who might think broadsheet newspapers, FT, you'd think they should be there in uh suit pinstripe suits and ties, but uh not the case so much anymore. So these are chinos, uh, more casual dresses um some trainers desert boots that sort of thing yeah that's probably I mean, that is based
1: that is more where having worn a suit for a long time that is basically where i am uh and then uh what does
6: what, what the gen z fashionable types involve oh uh, yeah this is the most intimidating group and they're not all they're not all <laughs> members of generation z they can be a bit older um i've i've tried it out potentially but it's it's difficult so they wear dungarees very bright colored clothes um i yeah Baseball caps in the office, Stock Martin shoes, very popular. This sounds among this like uh,
1: Dom, who works on my show, where there's a stage of wearing very loud uh, Hawaiian shirts unbuttoned to the na- to the navel, which were unacceptable. Um, <laughs> and what was the final group? Maybe what the final group
6: was the, the, the work group? from Homer's. Yeah. So yeah, this is uh, actually me today. So I'm wearing a, an MS knitwear jumper, some sheepskin um, slippers, and a bit of designer stubble. So oh, yeah, right. that that's the new group, and it's kind of uh, become more popular. In recent years, obviously, after COVID-19 and uh, before that, probably it was mainly uh, a freelance type thing.
1: And it's interesting, Melanie, uh, the point that um, Will was making about uh, you'd think broadsheets would be smarter. Actually, my experience has always been that tabloids, reports from the sun and the mirror, always very suited and booted with a tie on. Whereas actually, the broadsheets, have all, people in broadsheets have always looked a bit of a mess.
5: Yeah, there was always that sense that you, uh, on tabloids, uh, you needed to look smart if you wanted to go out and, and sort of impress impress someone. Um, I learnt my lesson on on a broadsheet though when I went uh, uh, at the very last minute. I got sent out on a royal visit, and I was dressed very inappropriately. I had very very scruffy open toed sandals on and no tights, <laughs> and I was standing there amongst all the sort of midst the ladies and waitings and things desperately trying to hide the fact that i was i looked like oh like an <laughs> aging hippie no i was young then i was a young hippie but it was it was it, it, i really never again you learned uh, it's lesson. been no never again
1: yeah yeah J-
5: james what how,
1: do you would you ever come in to work without a tie on in parliament uh no um
2: i, I think i think just because i think as Melanie said, you never quite know when you might you might be summoned somewhere where you would need to be wearing a tie
1: Melanie Reid and James will scythe down, of course you can read them both in the Times every week, and me as well. James on a Friday, me and Melanie in the Times on a Saturday. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash TimesRedbox. Up next, it's the Politics of Gogglebox.
5: Box. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry.
1: Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/slash people today.
0: This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.
1: You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this: The Big Thing.
5: On Times Radio. You you know the most, Dad. You know about politics, no? I'm going to boner
4: up on politics. You're going to what? Mm. I reckon there's a little bit of truth in
5: that. As Boris looked down as if he'd been nagged.
4: Well, you're no got
0: as prime minister, you fat-faced Tory. God, you can hear a collective groan of like potential Labour supporters, can't you? With that. I don't want a bloody general election in December. I'll be too busy thinking about my Christmas shopping.
3: I'll be too busy choking on pigs in blankets to be asked going out to polling station. Watching porn.
4: Oh dear, dear Mary. Tory sleaze again.
3: Every man watches porn, don't they? Abby, what? He's in the House of Commons. Time in a friggin' place. <gasps> Ooh! Oh! 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 The gloves are Ooh! off.
5: Oh, Dishy Rishi's not got the job.
3: I he's drowning his sorrows tonight. It actually just annoys me though, because I think if he'd have just got the job in the first place, then none of this mess would have happened, would it?
5: Serve the party I love.
3: Come on, Rishi, you're gonna
0: have to do better than that, big
4: man.
5: Mm-hmm. He should just drop his shoulders, look to his left and
4: right, and then start again.
0: Ah, I love politics! Yeah. Polit- who ever
2: said politics weren't yeah. like gangsta? <laughs>
4: This week,
1: we're looking at the politics of... (coughs) This week, we're looking at the politics of Gogglebox. Our focus groups are talking about it.
7: I watch
3: Gogglebox. I don't know if anyone else watches that programme. And I think that always gives quite a good reflection of what the majority of people are thinking.
4: Its creator is talking about it. David Cameron was encouraged by his head of press, Craig Oliver, to watch those bits of the program where politics and Cameron were featured.
1: And we find out if you can swap the sofa for the Commons to become the first Gogglebox MP.
7: Hi, I'm Josh Tapper and I'm standing to be Chipping Barnett's next Labour MP.
1: Now we're all used to watching politicians on TV and for a decade, every week millions of us have watched people on TV watching politicians on TV on Gogglebox, the brilliant Channel 4 show which is part points of view, part royal family.
4: Gogglebox was an idea we had that we suggested to Channel 4 at the end of a meeting where we were pitching them a whole bunch of ideas and we didn't think they would take it seriously but one of them did.
1: In London, Stephen Lambert, one of the creators of Gogglebox, is telling me how it came
4: about. The big challenge was the fact that it's it is a comedy, but we've got very little time to film and edit it, so we weren't sure that, that was possible to do. And before it launched, there was
1: some of the coverage was a bit sniffy. You know, Channel Four have run out of ideas. All they've got now is to film
4: people watching telly, and now it's one of their biggest shows. I know. Well, I think it's because the idea of it does sound a bit crazy, <laughs> and so when it was announced before it went on air, people did say, "Oh my God, this is the end of Western civilization." Um, But people liked it very quickly and they realised that it was actually rather entertaining. And that first series, there were only four episodes in the first series, but every episode was more popular than the previous one. And that's quite unusual for a new show. Most shows sort of launch big and then they fall down a bit. This one was building its audience, which gave Channel 4 the confidence to reorder it and then subsequently to move it into their very exposed Friday night, nine o'clock slot, where it's it's worked.
1: None of it's scripted, is it? You don't have a team of people writing the jokes. It's literally, they, they sit down and watch the shows?
4: It's definitely not scripted. I mean, our cast would refuse to say scripted <laughs> words. They would throw them back at you with contempt. Um, and they wouldn't be very good at it, because they're not actors. Uh, you know, they, they, they are engaging funny insightful ordinary people who are willing to do this week after week their wit comes from the spontaneous ability to come up with funny things to say was the news always part of it and politics
1: i mean clearly politics 2012 2013 2014 wasn't as mad as it has been recently at what point did 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 you realize that actually this was quite a good this wasn't just did people like were people shocked by EastEnders or laugh at Michael McIntyre? This was a, a view into the psyche of the electorate.
4: News was always going to be crucial to Gogglebox. We knew that right from the beginning. And I'm reminded that when we did the first series, they they, they all watched in 2013 a BBC documentary called The Irresistible Rise of one Boris Johnson, in which the narrator asked whether the London mayor would eventually replace David Cameron at number 10. Now, while most of the cast thought he was too much of a buffoon to become Prime Minister, um, in their words, a waffler who doesn't know what he's doing, others, it turns out, on that show back in 2013, were more astute. They said, well, he's actually very conniving, smarter than he looks, and after there's a good chance he might get that job. Mr Siddiqui said, he's just a waiting to happen. And it turned out it was true. (laughs) And
1: how do you handle that? Do you have to start worrying about it's an entertainment show? Do you have to start worrying about bias and balance, or if everyone falls off their chair laughing at Theresa May's coughing speech, you don't have to find someone to say, "Well, actually, I thought it was very good." Or do you? I don't know. Does it? Do you start having pressure on you about it being balanced?
4: It's important for us that the show is 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 seen to be balanced. The key to the show is the fact that the audience um, reflects the diversity of Britain. And it would be terrible if they all, when it came to politics, all had one view. So I think we do try to look for a balance. It's, it's not a diktat, and it's not something that um, people are using stopwatches to try to work out whether we're giving the, right, the same amount of time to one politician to another. But yes, we, 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 try to, we try to be as fair as possible, and we try to reflect the diversity of, of, of opinions. I mean, obviously sometimes they all think that a particular politician is terrible. But it's also interesting how they forgive a politician. I mean, right now with Matt Hancock on I'm a Celebrity, They, they some of them are being very supportive of him. I, I mean, certainly um, Lee and Jenny, the, the couple in Hull, the friends in Hull, they, um, they they disagree quite a lot. I mean, Lee thinks that Matt Hancock should be given no time and Jenny's willing to be persuaded by him. And
1: I suppose those are conversations which... we're all all having while we're sitting and watching Matt Hancock um, uh, in the jungle. And what about politicians? Do politicians ever complain or try to get on it? Do you ever have any interaction with political parties as a result of what's on Gogglebox?
4: Not really. I mean, sometimes politicians... Occasionally parties have liked the way in which the cast have reacted to something and they've clipped it and used it for their own sort of political messaging.
5: Uh, (laughs) I know
4: the Labour Party's done that at least once or twice. I know that... um, David Cameron was encouraged by his head of press, Craig Oliver, to watch those bits of the programme where politics and Cameron were featured um, and told him, you know, you should see how people are reacting to what you're doing. And uh, Cameron did and often got drawn into watching the programme itself and then (laughs) said, I've got a country to run, I can't waste my time watching this.
1: (laughs) And what about, uh, what about the future? Do you feel like, at what point do you think politics might drop out of it a bit? Or is it now part of the mix? You know, can you, Rishi Sunak, try to make politics as oh, boring politics as possible? Won't ever right
4: drop now. Out of it. I mean, it, it, what we're trying to do in the show is all the time reflect what, what people are talking about. I think the, the charm of Gogglebox is that it, it, it reflects back the conversation the country's having that week. And a lot of the time, people are talking about television. Uh, but a lot of the time they're talking about what's in the news. And therefore we'll never take the news out. I mean, right now people are worried about the cost of living. And the, the key thing is not that they just talk about it, but that they, they talk about it in an insightful and often entertaining way. I mean, um, Pete and Sophie were joking about sticking the heating on. It's now the news showing off. I mean, you know, he's doing well, he's got the heating on. You can see the smoke coming out of his boiler flue. Um, and, 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 and Mika, Mika and Marcus wonder you know, where do we go from here we're already shopping at Lidl um, so it's, they're always talking about what it is that's of concern to the country this week and they're doing that in a way that is insightful very good at seeing through and is, 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 is often very funny
1: and we've had, uh, cele- obviously, celebrity versions of Gogglebox. I mean, Giles Brandreth is probably the closest you've had to a politician. Oh, Jeremy Corbyn did it as well, didn't he? Is there any of the current crop of, crop of politicians you'd like, like to get on the Gogglebox sofa?
4: Um, I think that it would be great to get any politicians on the Gogglebox sofa. I mean, what, what's so seductive about Gogglebox is the strange intimacy of people watching with their nearest and dearest in the intimacy of their home. You, you don't think that sounds like a big deal, but actually the people that you have in your home that you sit down and watch television with are quite a reflection of, 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 of those people that you're closest to. Um, and if, whenever we've done it with people who aren't really friends or aren't really, don't have history with each other, it doesn't really work. And it, 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 therefore, whoever it is, and that's why celebrity Gogglebox works so well, you, you do get a different insight into them by seeing them in their own homes and seeing them feeling relaxed and, and comfortable with people that they feel uh, and have a very, you know, close relationship with.
1: Am I allowed to ask you finally, who's your favourite Gogglebox family?
4: Oh, um, no, I don't think you are. I love them all equally. <laughs> like a frog loves all its tadpoles.
1: Stephen Lambert, there, the creator of uh, Gogglebox. We are looking at the politics of Gogglebox. Up next, we'll hear from Stefan Dom. They were the famously posh, often quite drunk couple on uh, Gogglebox about covering politics. And we'll hear from the Goggleboxer who's hoping to swap the sofa for the benches in the House of Commons by becoming an MP. We'll do that next.
5: I'll be stones at your window. I'll be waiting outside to your room.
1: We're talking about the politics of Gogglebox. Unlike the politicians, the polling on Gogglebox is amazingly stable over its almost 10 years on air. According to YouGov's regular tracker, nine in ten people have heard of it, and half really like it. It's slightly more popular among women than men. Slightly more popular amongst Remainers. 54% of Remainers like it compared to 46% of Leavers. And 56% of Labour voters like Gogglebox compared to 51% of Toys. It's all just down to the casting, of course, and who is sitting on the sofa. Well, in London, Stefan Dom here to talk about being on the show. Morning, Stefan Dom. Good morning, Matt. Nice to have you both with us. Now, uh, tell me first of all, how did, how did you end up on, uh, on Gogglebox from the beginning?
8: Uh, well, we'd, we'd just done uh, a show called Four in a Bed um Uh, and i think the the reaction on that was a bit strange um again i think a little unexpected um and made by studio lambert so we were literally approached to um ask if we'd go on it and of course why not it sounded strange (laughs) um watching people watching tv uh in our own home um what's not to like really i mean it could have gone anywhere but um Uh, it ended up being the phenomenon that it is today. And Steph, you were
1: both a bit of a phenomenon as well, mainly because, um, like I have to be honest, in the Chorley household, if you're watching television evening, it's quite nice to do it with a glass of wine.
3: Well, indeed, I think it's rude not
1: to. Were you surprised, Steph, by the reaction and the fact that that actually you, it became a huge hit really quickly, as we were just hearing from Stephen Lambert, and has been for such a long time that the novelty factor hasn't worn off. There's clearly something there people really get to know and like the characters.
3: Yes, I think they invest in them. And, um, you know, I remember people saying, You know, I feel like I know you. I feel like I'm your friend because, you know, I spend Friday night with you, with a glass, watching you, watching the shows that I've either watched or I haven't, and I'll decide whether I'm going to watch it or not based on... You know, I think somebody asked a politician once, um, you know, what do you think about this, that and the other? And he said, I don't know, I haven't watched Gogglebox yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: And that's a way of uh, of getting into it. To- well, let's talk about uh, politics then, uh, uh, Dom. You got the, it was from Stephen was making quite clear, he thought that the news and politics was a, was a key part of this. So it wasn't just watching sort of entertainment shows. Um, and you just had a free reign to say what you liked about the politicians?
8: Very much so. The news was always very difficult because um, uh, obviously the requirement is that we're, we're commenting on it, and usually the clips were quite short
3: and boring.
8: <laughs> um, so we had to sort of really quite concentrate very hard. Sometimes watch it three times to be able to understand exactly what said before. You know, if I if I said something, you didn't hear the, the next bit. Yeah. Um, and yes, it was an important, very important part of the show. I mean. The whole cast—I mean, pretty much everybody—was was was, um, was light, but we were all tokens from all walks of life. Yeah. Um, if ever there's been a, a show of, well, we, you know, we've got the whole country's demographic. That was it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so everybody sort of thought, okay, well, this is what these people are thinking. This is what those people are thinking, which is right because, as Stephen said, it's not scripted. Um. If it were scripted, I think it could be a very dangerous program. <laughs> um, and but as Stephen says, you can't script a show like that. You can't have somebody write the jokes. You can tell it's just the British people's natural humour uh, that we take the Mickey, or you know, we'll say something rude about someone's hats if we feel it appropriate, and if we don't, we won't.
3: And I think as a result. Um it became a very inclusive uh, show because people were sitting nodding their heads or not, you know, shaking them that you were having a conversation that they agreed with um, or didn't. But, you know, they felt that it was a conversation with them and that, you know, they felt validated if they did agree with
1: you know the majority of yeah the well i suppose also more than more than that to some extent stuff sort of is the opposite of a of an echo chamber rather than people think well everyone agrees with me whether it's on of course you know who should have gone out of strictly or what you think of theresa may that actually you do get those things where someone, you know maybe you two might say oh, i can't stand them and then the next person comes along and says oh you know i, oh, I just I feel them. sorry for them or hmm. um you know they've done their best and actually having that check because we do we do focus groups monthly on the show and the reaction we get from listeners half the time. Is, Who are these people? Who? Are you? Well, they're the British public. That's the mm. that's the whole point, isn't it? Is finding people that you didn't um, you don't always agree with, and actually mm. that's fine. You don't need to have a big round about it. If you, I think, you, did you have Nigel Farage come and stay in your hotel once?
8: <laughs> uh, we did. We did it. We did a show. Uh, yes, it was initially meant to be a pilot of um, Stefan Dom Meets, and we did meet Nish, 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 Nigel. Nigel Farage. And a very nice chap he was mm. um, and I have no problems about saying that but one of the issues probably for us is that people automatically assumed that we had aligned ourselves with Nigel and the UK. UK, UK party UK, yeah. which wasn't the case we purely and simply executed an interview pretty you know not quite like Oprah Winfrey and, and Princess uh, it wasn't quite... Well, it was quite revealing, and he was a very charming man, a really very nice man. And funnily enough, he and I had quite a lot in common. But that doesn't mean to say for a minute that I agreed or disagreed with his politics. And one of the things that comes out of the show is everybody's point of view will say, oh, I don't like him, but he's got a good point, or I don't like yeah. her, or I really like her, but I think she's wrong on this point, oh. which I think is something only the british people off the hoof can say and point out because no disrespect to journalists you know they have a, a fixed agenda of what they're trying to get across and if a journalist doesn't like someone um that can get in the way but through the you know the form that is Google we have the ability to say you know to pick up on each other mm. and go well it doesn't matter if you don't like him yeah it's is what he's saying right, good, incredibly stupid? <laughs> Is he a liar? Um, you know, all those factors, we have the ability to filter out because we're not scripted or nobody's mm.
1: scripted. You two have never tempted to to use your platform to go into politics yourself? <laughs>
3: joke of the
8: year <laughs> well done uh, <laughs> Matt, we are very much of the opinion that the kind of people that should be running this country wouldn't be seen doing it for a million i, I think uh, the prime minister job is hugely underpaid for for what we're expecting of him stroke her um most of them are, you know we're not big fans of politicians they're all in it Either side, they jump sides, they change colours. Um, quite frankly, I wouldn't trust any of them. No,
3: they And I
8: wouldn't want to join that family.
3: In the way that, um, well, they are full of what comes out
1: of a horse's bottom.
8: <laughs> well, <let's leave> it. <laughs> Most let's of the time. Line,
1: let's do a line out of that there.
8: <laughs> yeah, I think probably best move on, yeah.
1: Steph and Dom, really good to speak to you. To get your take on being on Gogglebox.
3: Thanks for having us.
1: Thank you. Nice to have you with us. Uh, right, uh, from Stefan Dom now, we are off to Chipping Barnett. Josh Tapper. Josh Tapper, former Goggleboxer, uh, but you are now looking uh, to become an MP to swap go- Gogglebox for the ballot box.
7: Well, you know, I, I, I think for sure, and, and I agree with so much of what Steph and Dom actually were just saying about, you know, being actually sitting on the sofa and hearing so many diverse points of view from across the country I think what it really showed was that yes we all have lots of diverse backgrounds views cultures to celebrate but I think what Gogglebox does a really great job of um, is recognizing you can have those different perspectives but actually there's so much common ground um, between these different cultures backgrounds across the country and these different families um, and actually I think one of the things about being on Gogglebox from an you know, from quite an early age. Yes. Yeah, so how, old, how old were you when you started? I was 15 um, when I started. So spent most of my teenage years on, um, on the show. And that meant that I was watching news and finding out more about current affairs, more than I probably would well, have I was otherwise. Gonna, I,
1: I, I was wondering that. Did your interest in politics and current affairs come from the fact
7: that Gogglebox made you watch it? I think it definitely accelerated it because it meant that I was in touch with things that were going on. You know, I was regularly watching things, whether it was Brexit, whether it was the 2015 general election, the 2014 Scottish independence referendum, all of these key moments um, in recent political history. Um, You know, we were watching it weekly and I was sitting down with my family and I was having disagreements with them and it was provoking conversation. Um, And, you know, for me, it wasn't directly related to Gogglebox. When I was at school, I, I found that the education system um, I don't think it's fit for purpose in many, many ways. And I did an apprenticeship. I didn't go to university. Um, and I feel strongly um, that we need good alternatives to university um, and that everyone has talent that they can offer to this country. And the education system needs to be able to provide those those opportunities. And we need to have those opportunities after school as well for all of those young people. And for me, I think that the House of Commons is, um, doesn't currently represent the full breadth of people who don't go to university in this country. And I would love to see more of that representation, especially as um, as we move forward and, you know, the future of skills is looking to be high on the agenda. And I think it's important we have people from different educational backgrounds yeah, sitting around the table to make those decisions as well. Well, as someone who uh, didn't go to university, I
1: wholeheartedly agree, Josh. So you threw your hat in the ring, to be the Labour candidate in Chipping Norton, but that that um that didn't prove successful, did it? Do you think that being on Gogglebox
7: helps or hinders your political ambitions? It's a good question. I don't think it does either. So <laughs> I don't I don't think it gives me a, an edge in many ways. But I also don't think it's you know I don't think it's a massive hindrance. But I think what people want to see from candidates, what people want to see from MPs, is a track record. You know, of people that are willing to to fight their community people who are willing to stand up and get things done in, in the house of commons and whether or not you know i've been on Gogglebox, box i think that's what people are, are really actually looking to see and um, what when selecting um, and electing their mps well it's a great story josh I and mean, best of luck best of luck with it all um i really like the idea
1: that Gogglebox box helped get you into politics now uh, josh tapper there thanks so much for joining us on times radio
7: thanks so much Mark.
1: As there we are. That was the politics of Gogglebox. We heard from Stephen Lambert, the creator, Stefan Dom, a bit early for them to be drinking, uh, so they weren't, and uh, Josh Tapper there, who's hoping to swap uh, the sofa of Gogglebox uh, for the House of Commons. And you'll be able to listen to that on the Redbox podcast, wherever you get your podcast from. You'll also get the uh, the columnist panel, uh, James Forsyth the man you read today, talking about immigration and wind farms and what you should wear into the office. Right, uh, coming up, do some more of your tales of things that you found when you moved into places. Some great, great stories coming up for that. Uh, we'll find out how I'm getting on with the uh, Lobby World Cup uh, contest. Uh, Paul War, who's running it will tell me how badly I'm now doing against Keir Starmer and Manchester United. We'll do the top 10 politicians of football as well. And Jenny Bond is going to join us. All that in the next half an hour after we get the latest news from Steve Holden.
0: That's
1: so all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. and We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcast from.
0: This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.
1: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter.